Welcome to Open Your Eyes, a podcast about empowering each of us with the perspective and tools to grow and change. Thanks for joining us today. You know, each week as we approach the next podcast, we do so with a bit of a feeling of responsibility. You give us your time and your time is worth a lot. And as a result, we want this time together to be worth the investment. And because this podcast has become a regular stop for thousands of people, it makes our sense of responsibility even greater. And if there were any message we would want you to hear today, it is that you are filled with immense potential, that you can make a significant difference in your life and the lives of your family and members of your team. And I believe deeply you are where you are in life for a reason, for a purpose. And perhaps one purpose is to rise in your influence and leadership and your ability to live a happier life. So I hope today that you hear something that can help you get a better view of your place in the world and how you can live to your potential. And when you're done listening today, if you find some good ideas here, be sure to share this podcast with a friend. Let's get started. Today, I'd like to talk about leading as a risk taker that it is worth the risk. On June 12th, 2022, at Radio City Music Hall, hundreds of the best Broadway entertainers gathered for their annual meeting. The occasion, the 75th Tony Awards. Now, the Tonys were named after Antoinette Tony Perry, a famous theater actress and director. And the anticipation leading up to the Tonys this year seemed to be at an entirely new level. You see, nominated for the best actor in a musical were several legends, superstars. Billy Crystal was nominated for Mr. Saturday Night, Hugh Jackman for The Music Man, Rob McClure for Mrs. Doubtfire, and then two additional rookies were nominated as well. Hugh Jackman seemed to be the lock for the award because The Music Man, in which he plays opposite Sutton Foster, is the best-selling show on Broadway. Now, one of the rookies nominated was Miles Frost. Miles was born in Silver Spring, Maryland. He was raised by his mother, Charmaine, a systems engineer, and his grandmother, a schoolteacher. And as a young boy, he had two passions, golf and the piano. Now, he would go on to play the drums at church and even had an R&B band in high school, and Miles and his mother used to dance and sing in the kitchen at home to Michael Jackson's songs. And while he was in high school, Miles performed Billie Jean at a high school talent show, and his mom filmed the performance on her iPad. Then she uploaded it to YouTube, hoping his fellow classmates would watch and enjoy looking back on the performance. Well, because Miles loved to sing, he took a risk and tried out for The Voice. Now, to make a leap from a high school play to singing on The Voice would be too much to hope for, right? Well, he did well enough in his audition to be given a tryout. Now, if you've seen The Voice, unknown singers try out in front of judges who have their chairs turned away from the stage and judge the participants based on their voice only. Miles tried out but was not selected by the judges and walked away from the experience having been rejected. Now, like Miles, I think we all face risks now and then in our life, and sometimes those risks seem too impossible or too much to hope for, or even seem like too much to think that 
we may actually have a chance to do something remarkable or good. And perhaps, as time has gone on, you've got to thinking that it isn't worth the risk or the work or the potential of failing to really try to give something your whole heart. Perhaps that undertaking is going to require a level of discipline you haven't had for a while, and you aren't sure you can. And if you try, you may walk away defeated. Perhaps you're leading a team and you worry that you can't convince the team to engage in a bit of risk-taking themselves. And you also worry that if you do, you might be wrong and you might lose credibility. Well, if it's time for you to lead your team to take a risk or you need to step up and take a risk yourself, then take a lesson from Miles Frost. Unbeknownst to Miles and his mother was the fact that a new Broadway show had been in the works for some time. It's called MJ and features the life and songs of Michael Jackson. The show was getting ready to launch when they lost their star, Ephraim Sykes, who was playing the role of Michael, and they went on a search for a new leading actor. Now, the role of Michael can't be filled by just any person. The directors needed the actor to move and sound like MJ, and the person must be talented because the show must reflect the skills that Michael Jackson possessed, And they had to move, dance, and look like Michael Jackson looked when he danced so unbelievably good. So where do you find someone who meets all of those criteria? Well, the production team auditioned a number of well-known Broadway and Hollywood actors. None of them fit the bill. None had all the needed qualities plus the mild mannerisms of Michael Jackson. Well, at this time, Miles Frost was a junior in college, and call it luck or providence, He signed up for acting classes with Leland Thompson, who knew the director of MJ. And his coach showed the high school Billie Jean video of Miles to the director. And the director and the show's producers agreed to give Miles a look. Well, for Miles, this was good news and bad news. He was excited for the chance, but then he remembered. The only acting experience had been in three high school plays. Could he really sing and dance and act like the king of pop and do that on Broadway? He said to himself, why say I can't? Maybe I can. So Miles pled for an extra day to prepare and taped a video to send to the show's producers. Well, the video was good enough that they asked him to come to New York to perform in person. And he wondered, would this be like his tryout for The Voice? Would they reject him because of his lack of experience? Well, Miles took the risk and went anyway. When he got to the theater, the director said of Miles, he very sweetly walked up to the table and said, my name is Miles Frost, and I'm auditioning for the role of Michael Jackson. The director said his resume was really short. Well, Frost stepped onto the stage, slipped on a fedora, and got ready to dance Billie Jean. And the audio techs queued up the wrong song. But he didn't lose his focus. He kept his head down and concentrated. And when he started to dance, they could see he had an innate groove. Then he sang, and there was pain and fear and grit and power in his voice. And the director looked at Frost as a godsend and a gamble. He wasn't sure if the gamble of a rookie with no acting experience would pay off. But he went forward anyway, and Miles got the leading role. Soon, Miles, a college junior from Maryland, was singing and dancing in the leading role of MJ 
at the Neil Simon Theater in New York. Now, just a few weeks ago, I went to the Neil Simon Theater to see Miles perform. It was spectacular. His dancing, moonwalk, singing, and mannerisms were amazing. And the show was awesome in every respect. Now, a few months back, prior to the Tonys, the Broadway play MJ had picked up 10 Tony nominations. And Miles, as I mentioned, was up against the greats like Crystal and Jackman for the Tony Award for Best Actor. And wouldn't you know it, but the godsend and the gamble of MJ, Miles Frost, won the Best Actor in a Musical Tony Award. You know, that's how it is sometimes. The opportunities that come our way and the direction we need to take our team or life from time to time is both a godsend and a gamble. But it is worth the risk. The chances we take and rise to meet are what makes life and teams and business so worthwhile. Very rarely does anything worthwhile happen without a risk, without a gamble. So if you're leading a team that needs to risk some time and effort to put their whole heart into that effort for a season, or if you in your life need to step up and be disciplined for a time to take a risk, to risk your time and reputation and maybe even fear of failure, to rise to become who you can become, then let's talk for a minute about how you lead by taking a risk. Last year, a group of researchers decided to test whether there was a link between leaders who are regarded as strong and their tendency to be risk takers. Here's what the researchers learned. People who are skilled at taking risks are more attractive and are more effective leaders. In one phase of the study, they presented candidates in an election to voters, and these voters didn't know the candidates personally. But the candidates were ranked in terms of their risk-taking, and that was presented to the voters. And when the voters eventually cast their ballot, it showed that they were more likely to vote for those who were risk-takers. These and other studies would demonstrate that people who take risks are more likely to be viewed as leaders and able to get their teams to follow. So what does that mean? To be a good leader, should you take risks? Well, yes. You see, it's not the tendency of most leaders to risk because there's often too much to lose. But risk-taking builds credibility and makes you attractive as a leader. And I know if there was something I could pass on to my kids, and if there were things I could redo in my life, I would want them and me to take more calculated risks. Try a major that you're not inclined to pursue. Start a business. Give your whole heart. Venture out. Be daring. Step out of your comfort zone and be willing to try. Life rewards risk. As I think about it, almost everything worthwhile in my life came as a result of risk-taking. My marriage was a risk, and still is for my wife. My choice of study was a risk. My first job, second job, and most of my jobs were a risk. It was a risk to move, to have kids, to start a business. Even this podcast is a risk. I mean, what if this podcast is terrible? I risk putting my talents out there for people to criticize. Almost everything worthwhile is a risk. Your faith in God is a risk. But the rewards of that faith could be huge. Your faith in your team is a risk. But again, it can bring great rewards. Risk brings reward. 
So as a leader, how do you improve risk-taking skills in your life? Well, first, have a clear idea of your end goal. A major difference between foolish and sound risk-taking is whether it serves a purpose. When you're clear about where you're headed and the reason for getting there, risks take on a new flavor. And most of all, your judgment about those risks improves when you have a clear goal. Here's a simple example. Let's say you're wanting to climb a difficult mountain face. And if you're determined to make the climb and have a clear goal, you're likely consider the optimal routes, analyze the path, discuss the options. If you don't have the goal, you may turn around or turn away at the first risk you face or approach in the climb. Next, improve your odds. You see, when you face a risk, you begin to plan how to accomplish your goal, and in doing so, you can consider how to improve your odds of success. Great leaders are great navigators and know how to improve the odds of success. In 1939, two scientists, Leo Sillard and Alexander Sachs, drafted a letter to Franklin D. Roosevelt, then President of the United States. And the letter warned Roosevelt that Germany was likely to develop an atomic bomb, and this would be a great threat to the world. Both of these scientists and their cohorts were contributors to nuclear theory. Now, Roosevelt himself would be facing an election soon, and he was hoping to be elected to a third term as president. He was, by the way, the last president elected to a third term. And the threat of another world war was on his doorstep. Well, when they met with the president, Sachs talked to Roosevelt about nuclear theory, about what Germany could do with the science, and specifically their plans for accumulating the world's supply of uranium. Initially, Roosevelt just listened, expressing concern over the cost of such an effort and the risk of doing so in the fragile state of the country at the time. You see, Roosevelt had lots of reasons not to act. The first of which was the massive efforts going into building airplanes and bombs and ships and other preparations for the World War. Unemployment was high. The economy was still in a depression. He had a banking crisis. How could he free up the needed funds? How could he keep such an effort secret? And he was facing an election. Was he risking his presidency? Well, like him, things that come your way in life can seem overwhelming. And we worry about failure and all the reasons not to. It happens to all of us. And sometimes we don't act because of those fears or the fear of failing. And perhaps you, like me, are facing a few necessary actions in life that are risky. Perhaps it's time to say no to other things and give your all to your business, for example. Perhaps you need to make a change in a relationship or employment, and you've been putting it off for some time, but now the time has come. Perhaps you've had a prompting that you must put some discipline into your life, and you know it's time to act, but you're afraid to do so. Well, the first thing Roosevelt did was to improve his odds of success. He got smart fast. He organized an advisory committee of some of the best in the world. They educated him and laid out a possible plan for stockpiling uranium and the development of a nuclear bomb. You see, fission bombs like those used in World War II relied on uranium or plutonium. Fission happens when the nucleus of a uranium atom is split into two fragments by a neutron. And this knocks two or three more neutrons free. And energy is released when this happens, 
And these free neutrons go on to strike other nuclei, splitting them in the same way. And this chain reaction spreads instantaneously and powerfully. Well, the biggest challenge for Roosevelt was how to get and refine uranium. You see, natural uranium consists of 99.3% uranium-238 and only 0.7% uranium-235. And 235 is the needed type of uranium, is fissile, and has to be separated from the rest. But the methods for enriching or separating uranium didn't exist at the time. So what did Roosevelt do to improve his odds? He put in place four possible projects for uranium enrichment. That way, if one failed, another would succeed. First, centrifuges were built and abandoned. Next, electromagnetic separation was tried. Huge racetracks, as they were called, were built by Tennessee Eastman, and the yield was actually quite small. Next, gaseous diffusion was put to work, and a massive complex with 54 buildings was built to house the process and $480 million was spent. Fourth, thermal diffusion was used, and a thermal diffusion plant was built in Oak Ridge. It produced a lot of uranium. In total, 129,000 people were employed, and billions were spent in the total effort. By July 1945, about 110 pounds of the right kind of uranium were delivered to Los Alamos. Well, a similar process was used to obtain plutonium. In total, the U.S. had acquired thousands of tons of uranium, and while Germany had developed the science, they lacked the necessary uranium to make much progress themselves. Well, Roosevelt died on April 12, 1945, and he was succeeded by his vice president, Harry S. Truman. Truman eventually approved the use of the atomic bombs to end the war. Now, the point is not to promote or endorse nuclear weapons in any way, but to demonstrate that this massive undertaking, this project, the Manhattan Project, would cost billions and would eventually pave the way for new science and energy solutions. But it was a huge risk for Roosevelt. But he improved his odds by simultaneously pursuing different paths for reaching his goal. The same goes for you. You can improve your odds as a leader and risk taker by getting smarter, using the best in the world to help you, having options, and putting your resources to work in the best way. Now, on to the next skill for great risk takers. Great risk takers and leaders have a sense for the future. How do they get this sense? Well, they visited the future. You mean you can visit the future? Yes. They can, you can, I can visit the future in several ways. Now, first, think about how much smarter you could be if you could visit the future. Remember that great scene in one of the Back to the Future movies in which Marty McFly realized that if he could go back to the future and get an almanac, he could return back in time and know the scores of ball games, the prices of stocks, and the happening of events, and that would make him wealthy. And I know many of you have thought, if you knew when the stock market was going to rise and fall, you could make moves and trades that would make you wealthy. So visiting the future could be extremely beneficial. So how do leaders and risk takers visit the future? Well, first, they look to others who have done what they are trying to do. 
or at least something like what they're trying to do. There are hosts of examples of companies doing exactly this. Instagram knew that its version of stories would work because they saw it do so with Snapchat. Sega created the game Sonic the Hedgehog and amassed 55% of the gaming market when they saw the success of Super Mario. Google Home knew the landmines of personal assistance because they saw the mistakes made by Amazon Echo. And now Google Home has a big share of the market. And the list goes on. So visit the future by examining closely the path of others. Next, visit the future by speaking to the very best, the smartest, the most knowledgeable in the market. This seems so simple, but is so often not done. Ask questions, gather all the info you can, be curious, understand the most you can. You know, years ago, I helped start a large business in China, and for two years, I asked questions, mapped the possible routes for starting our business, asked more questions, remapped and reconsidered. And without the expert's advice, we would not have made the right decisions and would not have found the success we found. So if you're building a business, what do you do? Pick up the phone, ask questions, seek help, read and read some more, seek out possible answers, and be thoughtful in your pursuit of visiting your future. Next, as you visit the future, have faith in those that have been down that path before. Faith is an incredible thing. When I was a teenager, one day I was combing through the bookshelf and I came across a book about George. I read this small paperback book in one sitting. The words in the book, the story itself, had such a profound effect on me that I read it again a week later. And in my adult life, I've read it several times. George's story began in December 1943 when, as a 20-year-old private in basic training at Camp Barkley, Texas, he began to feel sick and run a fever. So he went to the infirmary. But the fever continued to get worse. First, 102 degrees, the next day the same, the next day higher at 103. Then he went to sleep one night and woke up in the middle of the night and orderly took his temperature. It was 106 degrees. He was taken to the emergency room and once there, he passed out. When he came to, he stood up and noticed that someone else was lying in his bed. It was so strange. And he had a sense that he needed to look for himself, for his own body. So he went from bunk to bunk and room to room until finally he found himself. And there he was, lying lifeless on a cot in the infirmary. He then fully realized that he had died. As he sat there next to his body, he, he didn't know what to do. He didn't know what this meant. And as he started to deal with this new reality, a light entered the room. It was an extremely bright light, but it was more than a light. It was a person of light. And he realized he was in the presence of the Lord. He felt, not heard, but felt the words, stand up. And he did. And he felt something emanating from this being of light. It was love. It was unconditional love. And then George started to remember. He remembered the events of his life, from the time he was born in his childhood to the events of his teenage years. He said every detail of 20 years of living was there to be looked at. The good, the bad, the high points, the run of the mill. And with this all-inclusive view came a question. It was implicit in every scene and seemed to proceed from the living light beside him. The question was, what did you do 
with your life? And suddenly, George realized that had he known this question, this way of being measured in life, that that's what happens when you died, he would have done things differently. Someone should have told me, he said. And the answer back was, I tried to tell you, I even showed you. George then traveled to a number of different places. In the first, he saw a group of workers gathered around a fire, and a woman was standing with them. But she seemed to be ignored by the others. As they passed the cigarette around, she reached eagerly for a cigarette, but was unable to grip it. And George realized that when you pass from this life, you take with you the feelings, the cravings, the focus that makes you up, that made you, that what existed in you when you leave this life. And he realized that among the living on the earth were beings, spirits who had passed on, and they were stuck. They were there living out their desires, but unable to act on those desires. George then visited a bar where some of the spirit beings were continually reaching for drinks, but could never grasp the shot glasses to bring the drink to their lips. In another scene, there were groups of people, angry people, spirit people, yelling and striking at each other, but unable to hit or make contact with others because they didn't have a body. There they were, boxing in air, yelling and angry, trying to hit, but unable to do so. George wondered why the spirits who wanted to smoke or drink or fight or any other type of desire seemed to group together. He soon realized that in this new realm, that thoughts were not private, that others knew your thoughts and behaviors. And these spirits grouped together with others with whom they were comfortable, others like themselves. George was then taken to a great campus, and there on the campus, amazing work was being done, discoveries, advanced science, education, and work beyond his comprehension. There, the work of worlds and universes beyond his comprehension was being done by those who had passed from this life. As he traveled through the campus, he realized that there was even more. His overarching impression was that these beings were continuing to learn and grow in this new realm. He said he saw a glowing, seemingly endless city, bright enough to be seen over all the unimaginable distance between. The brightness seemed to shine from the very walls and streets of the place, and from beings that he could not discern moving about within it. In fact, the city and everything in it seemed to be made of light, just as the figure was at his side. Then everything changed and closed and narrowed for George as he returned to his body. When he opened his eyes, he was back on his cot in the hospital, and George later learned that he had died and been dead for nine minutes. A boy working in the ward had returned to George's body to prepare it for the morgue when he felt George's hand move. He ran and got the supervisor and convinced the supervisor to give a shot of adrenaline into George's heart. The supervisor did exactly that, and this would eventually revive George, and it would take some time, but George would recover from pneumonia. Now, as I finished reading George's story, it stuck with me. I wasn't sure if what George Ritchie wrote in his book, Return from Tomorrow, was real or imagined by George. And I'm not sure what our life will be after this life or what it will look like. But many things George wrote resonated with me. The first was that there are likely lasting effects from whether we live for ourselves or live for the glory of others. I believe that. Second, it seems likely that our thoughts and actions will be known by all both what we did here and what we think here. 
And we will need all the grace we can because all of us have not been perfect. And perhaps George is right, that who you become is what is most important because you transition from this life to the next as the person you are when you make that transition. So yesterday doesn't matter as much as who you are becoming today and tomorrow. Well, regardless of what you believe, here's the point. Here's a man who has visited the future, and there are others as well. Will you have faith in what they say? Will you take what they've learned and apply it to your life? You see, this is a key skill in life, but it's also a key skill in business. Will you have faith that those who have seen and experienced can teach you some things about your experience? You see, the key responsibility of leaders is to think about the future. As Brian Tracy says, no one is going to do it for you. So, to lead your team, you've got to paint a picture for them to know where they're going. You've got to paint a picture for your leaders as to how they can lead and for your customers as to the possibilities if they join you. And remember, leadership is the ability to translate that vision into reality, to take what the road looks like in the future and create a roadmap now for success. And as we end today, remember, it's worth the risk. One author said, the true mark of a leader is the willingness to stick with a bold course of action, an unconventional business strategy, a unique roadmap, a controversial decision, even as the rest of the world wonders why you're not marching in step with the status quo. Like Miles Frost, put yourself out there. Step up in your leadership, even if you've never done it before. Risk it. You may find a leading role waiting for you. And remember, improve your odds. By doing so, like Roosevelt, you create greater rewards for your risk-taking. And visit the future. Ask questions. Learn all you can. Learn from others and have faith in where they have been. And you'll find that it will empower you to act despite the risk And that acting will make you attractive and credible as a leader. Most of all, thanks for being here today. And don't forget to share this podcast with a friend and join us next week for another podcast as we learn to open our eyes to who and what we can become.